Thank you, Russ. Appreciate that. Um, you know, I've met quite a few people over the last month or two, last month, and a question has come up to me, is, uh, and it's, I just have a question about fear versus faith. And there's certain people that come, you know, and they have certain type of reactions, just like right off the bat when you're talking with them. And just like Russ said, I'm in a position where people either call me or come by and see me and different types of things. And we, you know, we, you know, we have precautions at town hall and those type of things. But it's just interesting, even before you start talking to people, that they have a certain type of reaction to the events that are occurring around us these days. Um, what have you noticed about people's reactions these days? Are they exhibiting faith or are they exhibiting fear? Fear? How are they exhibiting fear? What's that? Yeah, with anger. There's a lot of anger right now. There's a lot of judgment. Um, there's a lot of anxiety. I mean, people just exhibit anxiety. And it's as soon as you say something, they jump to the end of your sentence and they start replying back to you. You know, whether it's positive or negative, I, they, they jump the gun, you know, and come ahead of you. And it came to me regarding this. You know, certain people just have a certain reaction. And, and then other folks in the same situation as they are have a different reaction. This caused me to think about fear and faith. And of course, with me, you understand me, I've come up here a couple times, more than a couple times. And you understand I start looking at the Hebrew words <laughs> for fear and faith. And take a look at the Hebrew words for fear and faith and see what meanings they can give us and see if they can give us some insight and revelation and how people express those emotions those feelings. So what does faith mean to you? I mean, faith to me is one of those words. It's, I call it a $10 word. It's, what's the true meaning of faith to you? Go ahead, Joyce. Hope. Hope. Okay. Trust. Believing whether or not you see it. Joyce, I think you were saying something simple. Uh, similar. You know, the Hebrews passage, faith is the, you know, substance of things that we cannot see. Anything else? It's an action. It's a verb. Siri? Believing with obedience. So that's what faith means to you. Sorry, Siri? Shema. Hear and obey. It's not just hear. Shalom. 
Faith means shalom. It's peace, contentment, trust. Thank you, Wendy. So all those things. Well, now I'm going to give you, okay, there's some rules regarding Hebrew. And it's different than us. We've been growing up in a Western culture, which is based on Greek culture. And that's always with a definite point, and it's very narrow. And it's also a language of the mind. But Hebrew, the language of the Hebrews is a concrete language, meaning that it uses words about smelling, touching, tasting, seeing, hearing, our senses. And all five of the senses are used when speaking, hearing, writing, and reading the Hebrew language. Hebrew is about what's tangible. Even though it's talking about things intangible, now see, I'm going to start using $10 words. I gotta stop that. Simple words. Hebrew uses simple words to describe these things. Greek thought views the world through the mind. It's that abstract thought. Hebrews, ancient Hebrews thought they view the world through the senses. Greek thought describes objects in relations to its appearance. Hebrew thought describes objects in relation to its function. Jeff Banner gives from ancienthebrew.org gives a real good example of this, a pencil. How would you describe a pencil? Well, in Greek thought, it, well, it's yellow, it's long, has a piece of lead in it. And Hebrew thought is, I write with it. See how different that is? How you describe things? Is it by its function or what it looks like? And doesn't everything in our society, what does it look like? No. What is its function? The Greek culture describes objects in relation to the object itself. Hebrew culture describes objects in relation to the Hebrew himself or herself. So that's where we get Greek thought, God is love. Where in Hebrew thought, God loves me. Isn't that different? You know, we always have, God is love, God is love. That's the only thing he is. There's no way God, a just God, could ever punish anyone. It's like, no, you have to have love and justice. God loves me. So, Greek nouns are words which refer to a person, place, or thing. Refer to the action of a person, place, or thing. I mean, Greek nouns refer to a person, place, or thing. Hebrew nouns refer to the action. What's the actually doing? And in fact, the first two tenses you have in Hebrew are perfect and imperfect. Perfect means a completed action. It's done, already done. Imperfect just means the action isn't completed yet. We like to think of things as past, present, or future. Hebrew just likes to think of 
is the action completed? Or is the action still occurring and then it'll eventually be completed? It's a different thought process. Because, and I've said this before up here, God told Solomon, Adonai told Solomon, I have already given you wisdom. It just hasn't manifested in the physical yet. But he said that in the perfect tense. It's already completed. It will happen. It will manifest in Solomon's life. In God's mind, it's already done. Now, it didn't manifest in the physical just yet, but it was going to. So for us, it was still in the future. In God's economy, it's already done. It's already completed. Okay, so we talked about all those. Hebrew talks about action. Action. So I go back to you. This is a question I'm going to ask about these three words that I'm going to get into. I'm going to get into a word regarding faith, and I'm going to get into two words regarding fear. Because fear is, there's several different words for fear in the scriptures, but I'm going to work on two. So what does faith mean to you? If you're a Hebrew, faith means what does it do to your senses? What is its function? What it does to me? <laughs> and what's the action that occurs? So I'll ask you these things. Now, does anybody know the Hebrew word for faithful or faithfulness? It's your faithfulness. Emuna. Emuna. There's a bunch of dots. The Hebrews read from right to left. There's an olive on the right, which looks like an old English N. It's always how I describe it. And it has a bunch of dots underneath. The Hebrew loves dots, or at least the vowel pointing, they love dots. They love as many dots as they can get. Um, and then you have a mem, a vav in the middle with a dot in the middle of the little check mark. And then you have a noon and a hey, emunah. It's faithfulness. So the first mention of faithfulness, and it's in the next slide, Mike, is uh, Exodus 17.12. And it's kind of interesting. Thus his hands were steady until. And his hands were steady. It's actually emunah. It's vahi yadav emunah ad. And that's the part of the sentence that is going. But it's where Aaron and her are holding up Moses' hands as they're battling, fighting the battle. His hands were steady, and they called that, the translators could have put faithfulness, but it's steady. That's the first mention. And there's always, we always talk about what, where is this mentioned the first time in the scriptures, and what's the first definition of it? Another, another place that's in Psalm 37, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's kind of interesting that the word safe pasture is emunah. 
And some of the translations have feed on his faithfulness. What does feed on in safe pasture have to do with faithfulness? All the things that you talked about, although there is hope, there is trust about being in a safe pasture, that there's safe fences that nothing can get towards me. And I can feed in a safe pasture. Uh, it's interesting at Emuna that the root word on the next one slide, Mike, is aman. Here they have it, amen. Amen. And the root word for emuna, faith, is emuna. And then it's also the root word for emunim, put into practice and action. What's interesting, I never knew this, when, before I did this, is that the root word here, Amon, Aleph, Mem, Nun, is the three letters, they just transliterated that into Greek. And it became Amen, or Amen. And they didn't translate it. That, there's another $10 word. i got to use smaller words. All they did was take the letters and put them into Greek. They did not try to translate it into a Greek word. They just took the letters and made that the Greek word. And that's why, amen. You also notice in Revelation, Revelation 3.14, to the letter to Laodicea, that he says, thus says the amen. Yeshua calls himself Amen. And I don't have that on a slide, Mike. That's okay. But I like this, where it just shows the Aleph, Mem, Nun. Amen. Thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. So Yeshua calls himself the Amen. And I won't ask you to bring this up, Mike. I had a link to a short video, but I'll leave that alone. I won't try to do that on the next slide. But if you want to look at that, that gives a real neat teaching on amen. And the one thing that he says on there is amen through the letters. It's the stake, the tent peg that is secure. It's not in the shifting sand. I just went back to the parable of the house built on the shifting sand instead of the house built on the rock. And amen, you're bolted down into safe and secure. That's faithfulness. That's the root of faithfulness. But I'm going to take a look at the letters here. Aleph, the first one, and this will show up in the corner, it shows... It's an ox head, but it looks like our A, and it actually became our A in English. It's just turned the other way. But Aleph is the author, the artist, the architect, the administrator. His plans, his purposes determines the agenda. It figures it out. And what's really important for this word for me is it pours it all into the funnel. Pours it all. 
He's the Aleph. He's God. And then he pours it into our little container. The one silently expressing itself through every other letter housed in Bet. Okay, the next slide is Mem. And Mem is a picture of waves. Doesn't quite show in the modern Hebrew because they squared it off. But in the ancient Hebrew, all it is is waves and the paleo. And that's something else. The paleo Hebrew is that pictures with the letters actually give a story that help us see something, some of these things. But the mem, it flows out. Many living things can be pulled out, even referring to the waters of childbirth. The mem can also refer to, on the next slide, to the bronze laver. It's hidden and concealed, the place where the seed is planting, planted, a gestation period, until the time of birthing. And I, I cut out the slide that I had, another one on Mem. But Mem is like, it's like the sea itself. You got the waves, and then all of a sudden it's revealed at the end. When the waves come breaking over, then there's something that's revealed. The next, sli- next slide is about noon. And it's the seed. Noon means seed and life. Seeds are planted in the ground to grow. Fruits and vegetables. Seeds also represent people. Seeds and people brought life to generations of Hebrews. And you can see at the bottom there, they have the modern Hebrew, which is a little square thing. And then a paleo, which is kind of a picture of a fish or something jumping out of the water. That's why Mem and Noon often go together. And they're both tied to the bronze laver, which was where the priests washed themselves before entering the holy place. It's the fish jumping out. And the last one, the pictograph, is about a seed coming up. The sprout, a new life, on the next slide, is the result of the good seed, planted in the mem, nurtured and sustained, the work of the hand. The hand is the yod, or Yeshua. Okay, so what do we got here? We have the olive, which is a picture of an ox. The mem, the picture of waves, and the noon, a picture of seed. The olive is a strong power leader because of an ox. It's a picture of a strength, power. It's the tractor of the ancient world. The mem is a picture of waves, the water, they're mighty. It's also chaotic. It also can be blood. Noon is a picture of seed. It continues because the seed continues. It's the air. It's the sun. It's the fish. It's life. And then I go to concepts on the next slide. You have Olive, who's the author with a determined purpose, pouring into funnel. The mem is waters. Waters flowing. So he's pouring into the funnel, and then you have waters. You have expecting, attached, connected, rooted, they're hidden, concealed until the time of birthing, until the appointed time. Until the appointed time. What is the appointed time? What is his appointed time? Noon is the sprout that fish jump into water, a new life, result of a good seed, planted in the mem. It's nurtured, sustained, the work of the hand, which is the yod. And then I go to two letter roots. 
And I'm kind of taking you on this journey and trying to just give you concepts. And then we'll come to the end. The Aleph Mem, when you put them together, is the disclosure imparted. It's implanted. It's like that funnel implanting into you. Example of this concept is Matthew 13.52, which is explaining the parable of the sower and three examples of the kingdom of heaven. You know, where there's treasure hidden in the field. The merchant searching for fine pearls. And saying, you, know, you know, Yeshua is saying, kingdom of heaven is like a merchant of fine pearls. He does all these things. Or the dragon of the sea where he gathers the good and throws away the bad. And then at the end of that, it says, 1352, Thus he said he unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. It also has... Aleph Mem, or a concept of that Aleph Mem, is an example in 1 Peter 1, 5 through 9. By trusting, which is that same word about faith, pistos in Greek, you are being protected by God's power for his salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this greatly, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. These trials are so that the true metal of your faith, far more valuable than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may come to light in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Messiah Yeshua. It's protected by God's power for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then you have the mem noon, which is incubating, nurturing, producing. And one example of that concept is in Ephesians 5. For once you were darkness, but now in union with the Lord, you are light. You aren't the light, you are light. Walk as children of light, for the, light, for the fruit of light is in all goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. So, now I go back <laughs> to go, what does faith mean to you? With all these concepts swirling around. If you're a Hebrew, faith means with your senses, your arms are steadied. By its function, you staked in the good stole, soil. I am, I can stand. Like that in Ephesians 6. So you can resist in the times of evil. And after you've done everything, stand firm. Stand firm then. That's faithfulness. It's not this esoteric word, you know, big word, faith. When you tell unbelievers about faith and faithfulness, it's hard to get that concept across. But I'm staked. I'm staked solid. What it does to me, it's implanted in me to be revealed at the last time. 
how I've been staked, then the fire will reveal it. The fire of trials will reveal it. And the action is the fruit of light, you walk as children of light. Now, I'm not getting this. This is just my surmisings. It's not anything special, but I hope that brings some concepts to you. And I have a good picture here of a person. Without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. Adonai. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So of all those concepts I was talking about, he funnels that into you so that your seed can sprout out and show that and reveal that in the last time. Does that make sense now that we must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who come near him? How does that make a little bit different sense now? Well, hopefully it does. So what does fear mean to you? Everybody's quiet. <laughs> I've talked too much. I didn't ask a question in the middle there. I should have. False evidence appearing real. That's, a good, that's always a good acronym for fear. Lack of faith. Uncertainty. That's a good one. Disconnected. Alone. Darkness, yeah. What was that? Absence of light, yeah. When your actions are driven by fear. Fear is tied to actions. Things actually happening. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah, you can be... In fear, but still act in faith. There's multiple examples of that in Scripture. You know? Um, What's that? Deceived. Deception. Or feel like you're deceived. You know, you get fear because you don't know. You know, we mentioned trust during faith. You don't know who to trust when you're fearful. Because you don't know where to find the answer to get so you won't be anxious or uncertain. So I'm going to talk about two words, pachad and yirah. Pachad is pay het dalit. It's used for fear, terror, dread, but not for the fear of God. So pachad... Go next one, Mike. There it is. To dread, be in dread or in awe. Now we're going to go through the letters again. I'll do it quicker this time. We have pay, which is a picture of a mouth. So it's mouth, opening, blow, scatter. Whatever you do with your mouth. Or an opening. A lot of words with opening. Patak, opening in Hebrews. Starts with the pay. Next one is a hat, which is a picture of a fence or a wall. What does a fence do? Divides, splits, 
provides inside and outside, um, provides a barrier. Um, you can see on the bottom it all looks like is a arch almost, but it's a square arch. But it used to, in the paleo, it looked more like a ladder almost. And then if you put it on its side, the pictograph looks like a wall. But what I like is the next picture kind of shows me, shows the Mishkan, the tabernacle. The chet is associated with the big white wall. The linen sheets that form, or the linen fabric that formed the white wall that separated people outside from the tabernacle. And where is his kingdom in? It's inside with the tabernacle. And who's at the door? The door, and I don't have a little red pointer. That's okay, go back one. Mike, I'm sorry about that. I was going to say one more thing. You notice the door is different colors. I don't know if you can see that. It's right above the little word, Mishkan, if you can see that. It's red, purple, and um, blue. But who's, who's the door? Yeshua. Yeshua meets us at the door to the Mishkan. So if we're going around the wall and we come to the door to go in, who meets us there? And who, where does the shepherd stay? Lies across the threshold of the door. And who's the good shepherd? He lies at the threshold of the door. There are so many pictures in the Mishkan. His kingdom, Kodesh, holy, according to his pattern and his instruction. Our refuge is in him, walking through the door of blue, purple, and red. And that takes us to the Dalit. Go ahead, Mike, on the next slide. Dalit. And it's just a picture of the edge of the door frame is the modern Dalit. The ancient Dalit is more like a tent flap. It looks like a triangle, upside-down triangle. But you've got to think of nomad, you know, Abraham. He lived in tents his entire life. This language is that, his language. It's the flap to get in the tent and out of the tent. So those are the three writers for Pachad. So pay is a picture of a mouth. It's mouth, word, speak, blow, scatter. The hat is a picture of a wall or a ladder. It's a tent wall, it's a fence, it's a separation, it's outside, divide. Dalit is a picture of a door. What does a door do? Doors, you move through a door, and it's an entrance. So then when found this regarding pay hat, you combine those two. When you combine the picture of a mouth with a wall, you confide or ponder or keep. And I won't get into my, uh, don't go too far, I'll leave that alone. And then het dalit is the entrance gate access. Because you have a wall and then you have a door. So you have the entrance to behind the wall. So why would confide, ponder, combine with entrance gate to mean fear, terror, and dread? Well, what I came up with, and I didn't, this is just me surmising again, is you combine the pictures, the mouth, the wall, and the door, is you scatter from the wall and from the entrance to the tent, which is the kingdom, 
where it is safe. It's safe on the other side of the wall. But what happens with people's mouths, and this is what happens so much with fear, it's by what you hear, but I mean it's caused by someone speaking something, and you get afraid. However that speaking occurs, whether you watch it on television or you hear it on the radio or you hear it from a friend or you hear it on a phone call, it generates fear, dread, you know. The Japanese just attacked Pearl Harbor, you know. The World Trade Center just got blown up or, you know, planes just went into the World Trade Center. You hear those things, and you have certain reactions. Now, there's a gazillion little things that you have the same type of reaction. You've been in an accident. You're going to the hospital. You've been told you have whatever. You're sick. And you have certain reaction within you. It scatters you. It blows you down so you can't stand. That pay, blow, scatter, speaks the words to you. And it takes you away from his wall where you can find his door and you can find Yeshua. What's interesting is then when Jeff Benner's book, turn to the next slide, is... In his book, Living Words, fear is an abstract concept, but Hebrew words translated as fear have a more concrete definition. The first one that the exam was pachad, and he takes the verse from Job, fear came upon me and trembling and caused all my bones to shake. That is the verb pachad, to shake. In this word, the word fear is the noun pachad, meaning shaking. While the word shake is the verb pachad, so it's both a noun and a verb, pachad. Shaking. What happens oftentimes when you get news that you don't want to hear? You almost start shaking, don't you? When you hear something about your child, your parent, your brother, your sister, it almost causes you to shake. That's pachad. Or saying that I have to go down this whatever. Just something came to my mind. I was just thinking of the first time I went on a high dive when I was a little kid. I went to the edge of the high dive and then I walked back and walked back down the ladder because I did not want to jump off the high dive. I had Baha'i, you know, I was like, I'm not going to do that. Um, I mean, that's just a little example, you know, but that's that shaking that you get away. So if we take that back to the little phrase now, if you're Hebrew with your senses, Pachad means shaking. It means to scatter from the access. What it does to me, I'm shaken. And then I feel that I can't go. I'm like denied. I, I can't go that way. Fear causes me to think I can't go that way. 
It causes all my bones to shake. Does that give a good sense of Pachan? Let's go to Yirah, which is often used, Yirat Elohim, fear of God. How is that different? Does it cause us to shake? And I always got confused. I'm going, okay, I'm not supposed to fear things, but I'm supposed to fear God. Okay, I, but it's a reverential fear. Okay, that's a $10 word. That doesn't mean anything to me. What's reverence? I mean, I kind of, I know what reverence is, but you try to explain it to somebody else. You're supposed to revere God. Okay, what is that? Yeah, respect. But how does that work with fear? You know, that the concept just goes away. It doesn't, doesn't work as well. So I'll do this even quicker. The yod is a picture of a hand. Hand from work, throw, worship. It's a picture of a hand. Resh is the picture of the head, which can often mean first, top, and beginning. Aleph, we already had. And hay is a picture of a window. It's look, breath, and reveal. And then when you combine those, you have yod resh, which is strength, might, power, authority. The resh aleph, if you take the two little word things, roots is a goal, objective, destination, because it's, I'm heading to the top. I'm heading to the beginning where the leader is. I'm heading to the top where the power is. The Aleph Hay is a vortex. It's a whirl because it's a strength that's being revealed. It's a surge. It's an outpouring. It's a release. It's liberation. It's also similar to the way it's spelled. Ra'ah is to see. And Yod with the hand is he causes us. He makes us. So I always go, he makes us see. That is the fear of the Lord. He makes us see things. And then we go to the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. You know, that always confused me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Reshit Chokmah. Going back to Jeff Benner's book and Living Words. The word fear in this verse is Yara, uh, derived from the Yara. The common understanding is it's great awe of the Lord. And he will have wisdom. But as we shall see, this is not consistent with Hebrew language. Go to the next one, Mike. Each Hebrew word has only one meaning but can have different applications. The literal concrete meaning of yara is flowing of the gut, which can be applied to fear or reverence. You get a flow within you. When you come in someone's presence that's greater than you, you know, kind of a simple example. If I see a famous person I'll, you get a little Twitter painted, you know, or you see a president, or you see a senator or a governor, or, you know, oh, I just saw this guy, or I just saw this gal, you know. That flowing, that's just, you know, infinitesimal compared to if we were to see Yeshua. 
But that's flowing in the gut. Have you ever been so scared or been in the presence of something so amazing that you could feel it in your gut? The other part of this, flip it on the side, is what flows out of the gut of Adonai? Water, living water. What's his living water? His ruach, his character. What does his ruach have? It, it represents his character. You know, it represents life. It also represents his teaching. His teaching is like living water. So the flowings of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's a better way. And the flowings represent the teachings and the character of the Lord. And that is the beginning of wisdom, his teachings and his ruach, his spirit, his character, or what is with him. I'll give you a couple verses here. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God? to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord in his statute, which I command you today for your good. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to have the flowings from the Lord your God within you, his teachings and his spirit within you, to walk in his ways. So that changes that verse for me to say, have that within me. That's my fear of the Lord. Another one from Proverbs 31. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. But a woman who has the flowings of Adonai, has the flowings of the Lord within her, is to be praised to have his teachings and his spirit, his characteristics within her, she is to be greatly praised. 3130, is that verse? So, you can skip the next one. I don't, you know, we have, if you're a Hebrew, this type of fear means flowing in the gut. Oh, he causes his teachings to be within me. But now let's go back to the original question because I'm out of time. <laughs> what have you noticed about people's reactions to the current state of affairs? Are they exhibiting faith or exhibiting fear? Are they exhibiting firmness? Or are they shaking even a little bit? You know, you'll just notice their hands shaking a little bit or other things. Do they have the flowing in the gut to have the reverential fear of the Lord? It is so different. The people who I meet, where you know they're believers, and they have that firmness and that flowing. Yes, they're afraid of certain things, and things go on. But they're solid behind it. And we should be too, no matter what the storm is happening around us. And the ones who don't have the Lord have that shaking. 
Can we help them find the door to the Mishkan, to the tabernacle, to the kingdom? Do you have that shaking fear? And do you want to start to know the Lord? And that's all I have. So. Bless you. Thank you, Kent. We appreciate that. It was a wonderful, challenging message, as usual, from you.